to admit that I, the, the first time I heard that or whatever, and I, I said something about, you know, I bring out my whatever, and somebody said lightsaber, isn't that what it is? I thought they said lifesaver, and I thought, you know, uh, obviously I haven't uh, been to the movies in a long time, and uh, but uh, and there were others like, are we going to put the elders and preachers on a rocket and send them out? And no, no. Now Trent, he was so excited, he would ride one, right? I mean, he was fired up. Uh, when we talk about relaunch for WFR, what we're talking about is a time where we've asked our staff and our elders have prayed about what we want to accomplish this new year. And we said, look, let's look at every ministry. We need to look at every one of them take, and relook at it and relaunch it. There needs to be a time we look and say, all right, does this help the greatest commandment be fulfilled? And does it help the great commission be fulfilled? Because what we're all about is we want to, we want to, uh, we want to fulfill the great commission in the spirit of the greatest command. We want to get the good news out to people, and we always want to have underneath that the right heart about loving God and loving other people. Now, as we do that, uh, that means everybody's important. So we need to connect people to God, and we need to connect people to one another, and then we need to be connecting to the world out around us, right? Uh, matter of fact, uh, you have uh, received in the mail a, a form or a little survey uh, with a letter like this that reminds you uh, to put information down because we want to figure out how to use everybody's gifts in a profitable way for the kingdom. And a part of this is, is we need everybody. Uh, you know, there's that temptation sometimes, you know, if somebody's a little bit grippy or grumpy to say, oh, man, you know, I wish, I wish they wasn't here. No, I want everybody to be here just with a positive attitude and us grow them up to be, to, to be effective for the Lord. Everybody in the body is important. Now, if you're a member of this church and you have not uh, received a, a letter and a form to fill out, uh, we're just going to take the time right now to, for you to raise your hand. And we got guys in the back. Guys, who has those forms? Bring them around. Here they go. Good job, guys. The young people are on the ball. Keep your hand raised up. We won't, we won't think anything bad about you. Raise your hand. And now look, as they're handing these out to you, I go ahead and give you permission during my sermon. You can fill this out. Now, don't act like that's new news. Some of you are out there coloring in the A's and the O's on the bulletin and, you know. I, I, yeah, yeah. I know what you do. I pick up those old bulletins out there. They got a hangman plate on them and a few other things, you know, right? It's okay. Fill those out and then once you fill them out, look, we even got a picture of our basket in the back. We'll walk through those doors. There's a place to put them. Jeremy and those guys are going to collect those, and we're going to figure out how to connect you and your talents to be used in this body. We want to be about the business of loving God, of loving others, and of sharing Jesus. And I could think of nowhere else, no better place to start than by improving our looks. Uh, look around you and think to yourself, do we need to improve our looks? Be careful. How many of you looked in a mirror today? All right. The rest of us should have, I guess. <clears throat> you know, improving your looks is kind of a difficult task. Sometimes you can't do a lot with what, you know, God gave you, right? I understand that. I mean, when I was a kid, uh, 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 little, and uh, we were walking up, taking sled rides on this ice and snow, 
And we're walking up a hill. My old buddy Otis, he grabs my arm and pulls me to the side as he's falling down. I throw the sled out of the way and I fall. And the first thing that hits the ice is my nose. And it just snaps. And you know how your eyes all water up and you got it, you know. And so I go to the doctor, old Doc Baltz back there, and, 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 I, and I said, what can you do about that? He said, well, after the swelling goes down where we can see you, well, I'll take a, we'll take a little rubber hammer and re-break that and set it. And I said, it's okay, Doc. I, I can live with this. Which is why it's crooked now, as you'll see. Now, every time you see me now, you'll notice that. But, uh, it, it is kind of, I'm kind of like Carl on that, though. Uh, it's the biggest hypocrite you'll ever meet. To have something this big and it not work, you know what I'm saying? It looks good, but it just doesn't do the job. Well, we got to look at how do we improve our looks. So how do really we improve our looks? We have to look at the greatest command first. Let's look at it. Matthew 22. Now, I want you to turn in your Bibles there, not just read the screen, because we're going to deal with a whole lot other parts of this chapter than just this what's on the screen. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two. There's a context to this verse. We're, we're all familiar with the verse. But I want you to back up in the chapter. In the verse 15, Jesus is being aimed at by the Pharisees to try to trap him or trick him. They're already against him. They're already wanting him dead. Got it? And so there's this, there's this adversary feeling going on. And if they're coming to him, so the first thing they try to do is they try to, try to trick him up politically. They ask him a government question. Now, we would never get tricked up with government and religion, would we? That would never be a problem for us, right? But they ask Jesus this. Look. And so now look at who they send to ask. The Pharisees, verse, uh, uh, verse 15, the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Now look, the Pharisees aren't matching up with the Herodians for any other reason. They're enemies. But they're going to gather together with a single enemy called Jesus and try to trap him. And so the, uh, the teacher, they said, we know you're a man of integrity. You teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You're not swayed by men because you pay no attention to what they... I mean, they're just laying and they're buttering him up, you know. Uh, and tell us, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? They're thinking that if he answers one way, the government will get on him and they'll be happy about that. If he answers the other, the Jews will all jump on because he did it wrong there. And so, of course, Jesus in all of his wisdom... Tells them, you hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used. They bought him a denarii. And he said, whose portrait is on it? Whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. And he said, give the Caesar's what is Caesar's and the God's what is God. So there's this debate going on. Now they back off and they bring him another question. See, if we can't get him with a government question, let's try to get him with a theological question. What about this stuff of life after death? Let's get him with that. Because they're always arguing over those kind of commands. So the same day the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, come to him with a question. Got another question. Teacher, Moses told us that if a man dies without having his children, his brother must marry the widow and have children for him. Now there were seven brothers among us. The first one married and died, and since he had no children, he left his wife to his brother. The same thing happened to the second and third, and right on down to the seventh. Sounds like a math question on the GRE. You know, you got six, this, seven, how many apples do you cut in half? You know, kind of one of those deals. Finally, the woman died. Now then, at the resurrection, whose wife 
will she be of the servant of the seven, since all of them were married to her? And Jesus replied, You are in error, got it? Because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They'll be like uh, angels in heaven, but about the resurrection of the dead. Have you not read what God said to you? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And that hushed the crowds down. God, that shut them down. So we got a political question. We've got a theological question. Now it kind of comes right back into doctrinal thing again. This time they send a man who... He's not near, near quite as poisonous in his mind as that rest of that group is. Because later on in the other accounts, you'll see he's actually near the kingdom. And so this guy is an expert in the law. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Now Jesus answers brilliantly because, now listen, get this. Their hero in history is Moses. He's their hero. I mean, they're quoting him. They're arguing over his stuff. They're writing all the commandments. All the, they, they counted out 613 commandments. And, and they knew that 248 were positive, 365 were negative, And they knew which ones carried more. I mean, they argued over these things all the time. But their hero in life was Moses. And what does Jesus do? Quotes Moses out of Deuteronomy. And says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest command. You see, the heartbeat of all other commandments is found in the greatest command. You got it? The heartbeat of all other commandments is found in the greatest command. What their problem was, what their problem was, was they didn't have the inside right. They're arguing all about the outside structure of their religion and they've missed the inside about the heart of it. That's why it's so easy for Jesus to go to what we think is simple answer, but, but boy, really rattle them. Here's the greatest command. Because every other command hangs on the hooks of these two. Now look. We can be a church that practices religion and not have the greatest command intact. There's religious groups all over the world doing that. You understand? That's why Jesus talks about you've got to clean the inside of the cup out. Anybody can look religious and walk into a building like this and be a part of an audience. I don't want you as a White Bear Road member to be a part of an audience. I want you to be a participant in the kingdom of God. And that means re-looking at our own hearts. We have to decide that, look, I'm giving my all, everything... That's when he says heart, mind, soul, and strength. He's not talking about dividing them up individually. Those all overlap. He's just talking about the entirety of my decision. This love is not an emotional love. This love is a love of will and decision and determination that says no matter what, I'm serving the great God of heaven. Period. That's my commitment. That's why we have to, I don't care how we, we can redo our programs and our ministries a thousand different ways, but if it does not have underneath girding it the fulfilling of the greatest command, then we do nothing. I don't want us to be a church that just has 30 something programs. 
I want us to be a church that every ministry looks down and says, okay, are we getting the greatest command fulfilled and are we getting the great story of Jesus out to lost people? That's it. Every ministry ought to ask those two questions. And if it's not doing it, stop that ministry and do something that will. We, that's what relaunch is about. It's re-examining everything we do on this side of the river or university. I preached there earlier this morning. That we're all the same. We are one church in two locations and we must have the same goal of getting the good news out to as many people as possible. And look, what that, what is theirs result in? Debating, legalism, judgment, and misinterpretation of scripture. All those happen in this group of people. Because that's what happens in a group of people who just argue about religion and don't have the heart right. You see it every time. We cannot afford to be those kind of people. Got it? The structure of this church, how we do church and what we do in the order we do it in, is not what gives us heart. If changing something in how we do church upsets you, then I challenge you. Your stability is in the wrong thing. Your stability is in the structure, not the Savior. And I want to get your stability in the Savior. So that you're not uncomfortable every time something different happens around our church, see. Because we need you. We need you on board. We need your talents. We need your abilities. We're a talented group of people. We want to be used for God in the most valuable way we can. So what does it take? Well, we have to take a look at God. First John 4 says this is love. Not that, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son. As an atoning sacrifice for our sins. You see, until we get a right view of God, we're going to have a problem loving Him with all of our heart. While I was yet a sinner, remember what Paul said in Romans? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. So I need to get a look at God that says, look what God did. God died for me when I was, when I was saying that cuss word, when I was fornicating, when I was drunk, when I was in the middle of my sin, God still looked down and loved me enough to send Jesus to die for me. That's what he says. That's how much God loves us. When Jesus came to this earth, born of that memory, we just celebrated this Christmas, the incarnation, Philippians chapter 2, he became a man. He did not account equality of God something to hang on to or to be grasped, but he gave that up and became a man. Later on, Paul says, there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And one day, the man Christ Jesus is going to burst through the clouds and come back again, and whatever body he has, First John says, we're going to have the same kind of body. Do you understand? When he came down, something changed for eternity. So I'm sitting there studying the Bible with a guy in New Orleans. Uh, years ago, Bill, this was a campaign you preached down there. And, and Bill let me preach the first sermon of it because he couldn't be there. And, of course, he gave me the, uh, everything to preach, which was good. I, I'm still open to that, brother, Anytime, <laughs> Just keep sending those sermons. Uh, and I, I, I preached it. I got fired up. Next door was a McDonald's. I go over there, and there's this poor guy sitting there by himself. You know, I thought, I'm going to share the gospel with this guy. So I strike up a conversation. I, he invites me to sit down, and I break out my Bible. And I, I share the gospel, and I ask him, I said, now, look. Would you give your son to die for somebody that just raped and murdered your wife? Would you, to die for them? He said, well, sure I would. 
I said, no, no, no way. He said, oh, yeah, I would if I knew I was going to get my son back just like, just like I had him before. So that's all God did. I said, uh-oh, no. You do not understand the incarnation. Because when God became flesh, Jesus Christ, for somehow or another, He'll never be like He was in the beginning. Do you understand that? The sacrifice didn't start at the cross. It started at the incarnation. It started in the fact that He became a man, and that was planned in the mind of God before the world began, to, for you and me to have forgiveness of sins. That's where it started. God became flesh, died on the cross, shed blood for our sins, that atoning sacrifice. He was raised from the dead to give us hope. Our bodies are coming out of the ground. He went back to heaven. Right now is helping us at the right hand of God, send His Spirit to live in us. And one day He's coming again. That's the view that we have to have of God. Look at God and what He did in the gospel. That gets our heart back where it needs to be. Because the gospel is what pricks our hearts. Then we have to take a look at ourselves. In Luke chapter 7, there's this marvelous, marvelous story. Of a woman who's sinful who comes to meet Jesus. Verse 36. Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. And a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was sitting at the Pharisee's house. And she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him, wiped his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet and her with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him in saw this, he said to himself, This man were probably, he knows touching him what kind of a woman she is, that she's a sinner. And Jesus tells him a story. About a man who owed much and owed little and which one's forgiven. And you know the end of that. He says, do you see this woman? Verse 44, I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. For she loved much, but he who has been forgiven little loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. We must see our own sinfulness for what it is and the forgiveness, great forgiveness that we have in Christ. This woman walks into this Pharisee's house Everything that she had used for her sinful life, her lips to kiss, her hair adorned, uh, 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 her body, she brings all her perfume, all those things were used for sinfulness. She takes all that that was used for sinfulness and now uses it to proclaim the holiness of God. And that's what you ought to do with the thing, things in your life. She walked into that house and begged, and no, she didn't. She walked into this assembly. And she walked down this aisle and she found God and she's weeping and she's crying and she's sinful. She's not dressed right and she, she's there wanting to please God. And the Pharisee is at the back saying, I wonder what she's down there for. Now let me ask you, which one looks like your worship? Take a look at yourself. I need to see my utter sinfulness. And I also need to see the greatness 
of forgiveness that's found in this one called Jesus. Take a look at ourselves. Take a look at your neighbor. You remember the other occasion in Luke 10 when this same story, this lawyer asked about the greatest command. And Jesus tells him, love God and love your neighbor. And the man wanted to justify, he says, well, who is my neighbor? Remember? And Jesus tells him the story of the Good Samaritan. And Luke 10, he says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do like this man did. You remember the story. Religious people walked by the man that was hurt and needed healing, been attacked by the robbers. But the Samaritan comes by and he helps him. And he, he gives his money, his time, and he, and he helps. He's the one that's a neighbor. He had mercy on him. And now Jesus tells this expert in the law, I'll tell you what you do. You go act like that guy who is a different race than you and a different religion than you, but he's got it on straight. You go act like him. Now that takes a little bit of swallowing our pride, doesn't it? Because the Pharisee thinks he's got it all together. I can name all three, uh, 613 laws. I've got this thing down. No, I'll tell you what. You go act like that guy. You have mercy on people who need mercy. Go and do likewise. Our neighbor, it doesn't matter if they're black or white or red or yellow, the way we sing the little kid's song, right? Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter their nationality. Doesn't matter if they're a refugee, if they're Islam. Doesn't matter if they believe in no God at all. Our responsibility when we find people are hurting is to help them find the healing that Jesus Christ offers to them. How dare us be prideful about religious people. We must make the most of every opportunity God gives us. Maybe the only reason God sometimes sends them to us because we won't go ourselves. We must be a people who look to our neighbors. And have mercy on them. Show them where they can have the forgiveness of sins. Practicing religion without loving God leads to debating, legalism, judgment, pride, and misinterpretation of Scripture. Practicing religion with the love of God leads to life, kingdom, and forgiveness. Where do you want to be? At this church, our DNA is telling the story of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It must remain always our DNA. Nothing, nothing can knock us off that goal. Nothing. And we need each other to do accomplish this. And so I don't want you sitting out on the edge griping and complaining about the church. 
I want you with your talents and abilities to be pulled into the middle and with a positive attitude and a great heart say, hey, I love God with all my heart. I'm ready to go to work, Mike. Let's get this church moving to reach lost people. That's what we have to have from everybody, from everybody, no matter if you've been here one day or a hundred days or one year or 50 years. We need everybody on board. Everybody is important. Now, you know, I, I understand. I know how preachers are. You get this idea sometimes you hear somebody gripe and complain for long enough. You're like, well, we used to be better off without them. No, we wouldn't. We'd be better off with them with a positive attitude using their talents and abilities right here. And as leaders, that's our challenge to help make that happen in people's lives. We have to stay positive about the gospel and who we are and what we're trying to accomplish. And we have to stay positive about sharing the good news of Jesus and seeing what we already saw today, several baptisms, people who make up their mind, they're giving God everything. And we need to wrap our arms around them and walk that journey with them. We need discipleship, not religious form. Religious form will not mature people. Discipleship will. And we want to mature people to look like Christ and to pass it down to the next generation. That's what we're about. You on board? Amen. Let's relaunch. Let's make sure before we relaunch any ministry, we relaunch our own hearts with a commitment to the greatest command. Lord, I love you. Thank you. Thank you for your word that challenges us. Thank you for this church family, Father, that honors you. Thank you for the good news that's changed our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you have a need today, be baptized or come to the Lord. Do so while we stand and sing.